conspiracy. And um, uh, we're asking the question, what does it look like to embrace sort of a, a rhythm of life during Christmas that um, brings us joy and hope instead of uh, getting to the end of the season and leaving us sort of empty and wanting. Uh, and we've been wrestling with some ideas like, what, is it, what does it look like to embrace a more revolutionary type of, of Christmas? Um, and we looked at the very first Christmas and its setting and what it might have been like. And then um, Dan gave a great message on uh, what does it look like to worship fully during this season. And last week, uh, we talked about the uncomfortable a subject, and, and um, I got hate emails from all the kids in our congregation about um, spending less. What does it look like to spend less? No, I didn't. I just got glares in the hall. It's no big deal. I can handle it. Um, and today, uh, this may seem like a contradiction uh, at the onset, and that's okay. I'm, I'm all right with this tension and want to invite you into it. We're going to ask the question, what does it look like to be people who give more? And so you may be wondering, well, how do we both spend less and give more, Ryan? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You're a sharp people. I'm glad you asked that question. And that's what we're going to talk about during our time together today. I, um, I don't know about you, but there's a, a certain amount of pressure that goes along with the Christmas season, isn't there? Uh, we're, we were uh, driving last week, and my wife Kelly and I were talking, and she said, you know what, my, my struggle isn't as much about spending during the Christmas season. It's just about the, the chaos of it. It just, it seems like it's just so busy, and it just moves. And um, one of the biggest pressures I think that we all face is in the realm of gift giving. Uh, because here's the deal. You don't want to give sort of too much and make a relationship awkward. You don't want to give too little and seem cheap, right? And you want to give sort of the, that right amount, especially if you're dating someone. This is like sweaty palms type of situation, isn't it? Because what if they get you something really good and you get them like, you know, a gift card to Home Depot or something? I mean, you're going to be in big trouble. I can remember um, a Christmas when we were uh, first married, Kelly and I. Um, and, and we were just trying to cut costs around the home. And so we had our, our thermostat sat, set at uh, 58 degrees. And so, listen, young, married, you can just snuggle up under a blanket. It's all right. Now, now it's set at 158 degrees because we have two young kids. So, you know, um, we're making up for it now. But anyway, so, so our house was cold um, occasionally mornings where you could see your breath. And so here's what I thought. Here's what I thought. I thought for Christmas, I'm going to give my wonderful, beautiful wife a great gift. I'm going to give her the gift of heat. So I went to Home Depot. Now, see, here's the deal, guys. You know this. If you can get your wife's gift at Home Depot, you're in trouble. <laughs> Eject. Evac. So, so I, get, I go there, and, and here's the, I'm walking up and down the aisle, and I pick out one of the nicest space heaters that money can buy. I mean, it was like one of those towers rotated, had a remote control, and here was my thought. Listen, we can be under a blanket, and she can have the remote, and she can, without getting off the couch and getting cold, walking across the room, she can sit on the couch, and heat is coming her way. Well, um, 
See, see, my wife is really easy going. And so it's the grace of God that I am married today. But so she opens up the gift and I see like a little twinkle in her eye, not a smile twinkle, but like tears twinkle. And I thought to myself, I nailed it. I mean, I nailed this was, and I had to unpack a little bit like, babe, this is the gift of heat. The gift that keeps on giving the whole year. Well, we had a nice little conversation later on. The, the awkward part was she opened it up in front of my family and I'm going, a space heater. We had a conversation later on and she, she said, really, Ryan? A, a space heater? And I started wondering as I thought about this whole idea of give more, what does it look like to become better givers? What, what does it look like to become people who who give great gifts. And, and what can we learn from the scriptures that would uh, lead us to that place? And I also started thinking, how did we get to where we're at? I mean, how did this season become what it is? And the sort of the chaos and the pace and the sales and the buying. And, and how, did, how did we get here? Because as I read back through that first Christmas story, there's only one or a few gifts given. There's really three gifts given by the Magi who come from the East, and they're all given to Jesus. So how did something that that started with people bowing down at the throne of this child king and giving him gifts, how did we get a few thousand years later to where we sort of chaotically buy each other presents. And what might it look like for us to, in a sort of revolutionary way as followers of Jesus, re-embrace this call to be generous, good givers? So, so these three magi, or they gave three gifts. We don't know how many magi there were. Gave Jesus the gift of, of gold, which is this um, a kingly gift. They gave him frankincense, which is incense um, invented by a guy named Frank. And, um, no, no, the incense was, um, they, they would burn the incense and it would, it would rise and it was symbolic of their prayers rising to heaven. And so as people prayed uh, in, the, in the temple especially, but as they prayed, um, they would light incense and as it rose and you could see it rise symbolically, it was their prayers rising to heaven. And, and finally, these um, men gave him Jesus myrrh, which ironically enough, if you fast forward to the end of John, was, was a gift, was actually used to wrap Jesus. Not that same myrrh necessarily, but it was used for, for burial preparation. And so even in these original gifts, there's, there's great meaning still doesn't answer the question, how do, we, how do we get to where we're at today? See, the early followers of Jesus, they didn't necessarily celebrate Christmas. And the reason we celebrate Christmas on the 25th has nothing to do when, with, with when Jesus was born. In fact, just the opposite. It's, it's, a, it's an adaptation of a, of a pagan holiday. Now, before you let that scare you, um, let me ask you a question. How many of you have celebrated Saturnalius lately? 
See, see here's, what the, here's what the early followers of Jesus knew. Um, they knew that there was power in the gospel. And they were also very practical. And so, Christianity is birthed in the Roman Empire, and they have this huge, long, two-week-long celebration called Saturnalia, where they, would, where they would drink, and they would party, and they would spend time with family and friends, and, and all commerce would essentially shut down. And so, early followers of Jesus decided this might be a great time to celebrate the birth of our Savior, since we're off work anyway. Isn't it amazing how, I mean, none of us have celebrated Saturnalia, and, and the majority of our world celebrates the birth of this king. What a great reversal. You may be wondering about, how did we, how, how did we get to, to Santa Claus? Well, that's an interesting question. There was this bishop of Myra named St. Nick, St. Nicholas, and he was an, he was an amazing Guy, an amazing bishop. One, he was born into this wealthy family and his parents died at an early age. And he decided that with this wealth that he got, he was going to be abundantly generous to the people around him. I mean, gave to the max. So, so there's this folkloric tale that there's this dad that had three daughters and you needed to be pretty wealthy to provide a dowry for these women to get married, these ladies to get married. And the dad didn't have it. He was poor. And so the story goes that as these, these girls were hanging their socks up on the fireplace to dry after being washed, that, that St. Nick came by and with little ba- gold, bags of gold tossed them through the window right into the stockings. <laughs> He was also quite the theologian, this St. Nick. In the, in the Council of Nicaea in 325, they were debating the deity of Christ. And there's this guy named Arius. This is sort of for free this morning. Um, you'll have to forgive me because I love this stuff. But Arius was saying, no, Jesus wasn't actually God. And, and St. Nick got so ticked off at the Council of Nicaea that he, during a debate, walked across the room and smacked Arius across the face. <laughs> Now that's the Santa Claus you want your kids to sit on the lap of. And Christmas has been celebrated throughout the, throughout the years in these sort of ebbs and flows as the, as the Puritans gained power in, in England through, um, under, under Oliver Cromwell. Um, they shut Christmas down completely. In 1645, they said, no celebrating of Christmas. Done. It's an adaptation of a of a pagan holiday, and and we're followers of Jesus, and and we're not celebrating it. And the, and the early early Puritans um, in the Northeast, actually from 15, 1659 to 1681, outlawed the celebration of Christmas in Boston. And anybody, I don't know how you define this, but anybody who showed signs of Christmas cheer was fined five shillings. So, no whistling, (laughs) no happiness, no celebration. And then as commercialism grew in the 1800s and um, early 1900s, um, we went crazy. And that's essentially what happened. I mean, we started making things and there was, you know, the retail phenomenon that grew and it morphed into 
what it is today. But can we maybe agree at the onset this morning that it's not necessarily what it should be? That, that, that maybe, just maybe, there's something that we're missing. And, and I don't know if we need to fast forward to find that something. I think if we rewind a little bit, we can find what it is that we might be missing. Because here's the deal, you guys. I want us to be great givers. I, I want us to be generous people. I don't like the, like the Puritans. I don't want to just say, let's not do this anymore. But, but I don't want to keep doing it the way that we've always done it. Because I just don't know if that brings life and brings hope. So what might it look like? What might it look like to re-embrace this Christmas story? And in order to to sort of help us see that in the scriptures, I want to invite you to turn to the book of John in chapter 1. This is the shortest Christmas narrative. If this were a children's Christmas play, the curtains would draw and it would be extremely Sure. John wants to invite us to hear Christmas from heaven's viewpoint. Because can we agree that if we're going to be good givers, the best model that we have of that is God himself. I mean, if we're going to give gifts that matter, if we're going to give gifts of significance, I mean, if we want to give beyond the space heater, please, Lord. Maybe, just maybe, if we look to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he might have something to say to us. This is the way that John, uh, in verse 14 of chapter 1, talks about his good friend, Jesus. And he says this, the word, and, and he's talking about Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I mean, we could just, and we will, we'll camp out there for a long time today, but what an unbelievable statement, especially since it follows what what, what John said at the very beginning of his gospel is that Jesus was before anything, that he created it all, and that he holds it all together, that, that he is God. And then he says, listen, he, this Jesus became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you have your own Bible, underline that, circle that, star that, highlight it, whatever you do. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was the one whom I said. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. That's a pretty good giver, isn't it? from the fullness of who Jesus was, because he showed up on the scene, we have all received one blessing after another. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Can, can, can we maybe just for a moment agree on one thing? And that, that is that, that, that this God is the best giver we know. And if we're going to learn how to be good givers, if we're going to learn how to be uh, generous people, it might benefit us to 
look at the way that, that he gives. He's, he's the best giver we know. From, from his fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another. So what John is saying about his friend Jesus is you can't suck it dry. It just keeps coming. There's more and there's more and there's more and there's more of it. He's that good is what John says about his friend Jesus. I don't know that I give gifts like that. I don't know that I give gifts that keep on giving in a good way. But Jesus, but, but John says about his friend Jesus, that, that's how he gave. That's how God gave. And I wonder if maybe we just sort of step back off the treadmill of the insanity of Christmas. We can find out from Jesus how to give gifts that really actually matter. See, here's what he says. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and made its dwelling, made his dwelling among us. Literally, what John says is that Jesus clothed himself in humanity and set up shop right in the middle of town. In the Greek, it's this word, he like, he tabernacled. He, he built his house. He pitched his tent right in the middle of humanity. See, I don't know if you've spent much time thinking about this, but there's a number of ways God could have chosen to save the world. I mean, he was not confined to Jesus. He wasn't following anybody else's blueprint or plan that handed it to him and said, this is the way it has to happen. His name has to be Jesus. He has to come at this point in time. This is his plan. This is his design. I mean, could he have just snapped his fingers and said redemption is offered to everybody? Yep. Could he have had angels come down with a neon sign in the sky that they held up for all time? Yep. So why does he choose to come? Why does he choose to, to clothe himself in humanity? Why does he choose this way? Because I think, here's, here's it, God knows something about us as people. See, see, you can give gifts, but when you give yourself, that's when you make a difference. So you can give all the presents in the world, you can, you can buy all the best stuff and make very little impact, but if you give someone a piece of yourself, that's what starts to change lives. Um, if we're going to be great givers, like Jesus, if we're going to give like Jesus, here's a key truth that I think we all know and yet lose sight of in the chaos of Christmas, and it's this. People don't always remember presents, but they do remember presents. People don't always remember presents, N-T-S, but they do remember presents. I'm proud of myself. That's good, isn't it? That's good. Oh, man, yeah, thank you. But, But how true is it? I mean, that we spend a ton of time, we spend a ton of energy buying. 
How often do we give ourselves? See, the fact that, that Jesus clothes himself in humanity and that God says, I'm going to save not through just a gift, but through myself. We learn a lot about the way that we're programmed as people. I love the way that the message says it, and Eugene Peterson translates it this way. He says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Moved into the neighborhood. He showed up on the scene. Because here's what God knows. You can, you can give presents without being present. But when you give yourself, you change everything. Here's the way that the gospel, that Matthew writes it in his account of Jesus. And he says, the virgin, quoting uh, from Isaiah, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Hmm. See, at the heart of the Christmas story is a God who stands arms wide open and says to you and to me, you don't need more stuff, you need more touch. You don't need to acquire more things. But you need more touch. You know this. um, But you can be in a location and not be present. Some of you are right now. You can, you can be physically located in a place. Your, your body can be there, but your mind is so far in a different place. You might as well not be present. Uh, just a, a, a few weeks ago, it was a Friday, and Friday is my day off, and I always try to do dad day on Friday, so I take my kids to go do something fun. I, wanna, I just want to be intentional about building memories with them. And so this one Friday morning, I was getting ready. We were getting ready, and, and, and I had a bunch of emails that I was taking care of. And so I was on my phone, and my son is just running around like crazy. You know, he's dressed up in a Hawaiian shirt, and, you know, it's snowing outside, but he doesn't care. And he's running around, and he's just saying, come on, Dad, let's, let's play trains. And I'm like, yeah, just a second, buddy, you know. Send in a few more emails, send, and another one comes in inevitably, and Come on, come on, Dad, let's, let's, let's watch part of this movie. And I was like, just a second, just a second, bud. I send a few text messages, check a few more emails, maybe check Facebook. And he says to me, Dad, put down your phone. Three and a half year old. Who gets it? You can be in a place and not be present. Let me just talk to the, because I think this is, um, it's, it's all of our problem, but especially the men in the room. Can I, can I just speak to you for just a second? May we find, now maybe I'm just going to preach to myself for a second. We find so much of our worth in, in what we do and work. And so we have an easy time. I have an easy time justifying when I get home, why I'm not really at home, but I'm still back at work. Because it's a good thing. Right? We're providing for our family. We, we need to eat. And so because we need to eat, I need to work. And so I can, I can justify it. I can rationalize it really, really easy. But here's the deal. Man, we are not going to get that time back with our families. That when we're absent, 
Even when we're there, when we're not present, that's never going to be. We're never going to get to hit the rewind button on that. If there's one piece of advice I've gotten from older parents, it's consistently this. Enjoy the time. The days drag on and the years fly by. Man, and I want to be the type of person... Man, I mean, who cares what kind of presence we give, but, but that we would be the type of people who intentionally invest in the lives of the people that we care about. Nobody gets to the end of their life on the, on the hospital bed or however they go out and go, you know what I wish I had more of? Stuff. No, nobody does it. Nobody does it. Especially on a week like, like this week where you have just a tragedy that strikes. I mean, can it? Can we allow it to shake us just a little bit, guys? To say, what, what's really important? Is it the presence that we give, presence as in gifts, or is it the presence that we live? I love the way that Jesus modeled this, not just in his coming to dwell, coming to set up shop, to move into the neighborhood, but he consistently had time for interruptions. He consistently had time to laugh and to party and to be with people. He consistently had time to, to weep with people and to hurt with people. He had, it seemed like all the time in the world, and yet he packed so much into these three years. Well, how did he pack so much into three years? Well, he was present wherever he went. I think, and I just have this hunch, but I think that that's the reason why he would heal somebody and say, hey, let's keep this on the DL. Like, I, I know you're really excited about the fact that you were blind and that now you can see, but just can you not tell anybody? Can you imagine that? Like the lame guy gets up and walks and Jesus is like, shh, come on, let's, let's have, you, have you ever wondered why? I think it's because he truly, simply enjoyed being with people and didn't want to just turn into the traveling road healing show. He wanted to be with people. He wanted to have dinner with them. He wanted to walk with them without getting mobbed. He wanted to... Go to the parties without people just bombarding him. I think he just wanted to be present. You see, people, and that's, that's humbling. People won't necessarily remember the presence that you give. But they will remember the presence that you live. They will remember your presence with them. And so, John goes on to talk about his good friend Jesus, and, and these are going to be, I'm just going to draw out three sort of ways that we can be people of presence, that we can give gifts that last, because the gift that Jesus gives is himself, and if we're going to give gifts that last, we have to be people who embody this sort of DNA of where we are, there we are. That we're going to commit to not being elsewhere. That when we're at home with our families this holiday season, that, that we're there. Hey, if you, if you own an iPhone, there's this really cool feature. It's called airplane mode. It means you can't get any calls. It means you can't get any text messages. It means you can't get any emails. I 
dare you to use it. Dare you to use it. And here, let's just look at the way that John's, John invites us to sort of rewind and to get back to what this season is really all about. It says this, And the Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. See, if, if we're going to be people who point back to celebrate the Jesus of this story well in the gifts that we give, here's the thing that we got to keep in mind. That we would be people who focus on the person and not the presence. That we'd give gifts that are personal. Those are the best gifts, aren't they? I mean, the best gifts are the gifts that are personal. When we give a piece of ourselves, when we say, listen, I understand our friendship, our relationship, and I'm going to give something that accentuates that. I'm going to give something that celebrates that, that shines a, a light on it a little bit. And so John writes about his friend Jesus, and he says that he not only came and he not only dwelt, but he, he dwelt with us. It's like John can't get over this. You, you flip over to the first letter he wrote in First John, and he starts it with, we've seen him, we've touched him, we've talked with him. He just like, he is amazed at the fact that Jesus would be with him. This gift that God gave was not a distant gift. It was a gift that, that John was able to see, touch, and embrace. It was personal. It was as though God said, to John, John, I know what you need. And I know what will make you come alive. And he gave Jesus. So, the question that I have for us is, what? how do we give gifts that help people come more fully alive? How do we give gifts that celebrate relationships that celebrate friendships, that celebrate our humanity together instead of just trinkets and toys that, as we talked about last week, most likely are going to end up in the dumpster recycling bin or garage sale. See, because this is the way John writes about Jesus. In verses 4 and 5, he says, In him was, what's that word? Life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. See, Jesus shows up on the scene and he brings life. He brings life. What would happen if we started to ask the question, not what kind of things can I pick out off Amazon, but what can I give that would bring life? What can I give that would bring life? And if you're, sort of, if you're going, oh, dear Lord, Ryan, I'm not, I'm not crafty. Please don't ask me to make anything. I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't own a bedazzler. I don't own any, I don't own any special scissors that have like patterns in them. I got, I got nothing. I am horrible at making stuff. But um, a, a few stories that I read this week. One was about a son um, who got his dad a pound of coffee. It, it was gourmet coffee, but the coffee really wasn't the point. I mean, it's 12 bucks. It's a fairly inexpensive gift. And he takes this pound of coffee and he writes on the note to his dad. Dad, you're only allowed to drink this when you drink it with me. You're only allowed to drink it when you drink this with me. And I want to hear the stories of what makes you who you are. 
And it's just taking a simple pound of coffee and it becomes so much more. Because it becomes not about the, the present, but about the person. It becomes about shining a light on the relationship and growing together as, as father and son or as spouses or than it does about the present. Like I said at the beginning, I'm not a great gift giver, but last year Kelly and I, I got Kelly and I um, a book called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. Simple gift, but we had the chance to read it together and talk about it. Um, something that would build our relationship. Something that focused more on the person than the present. So John says, He dwelt among us. Hmm. I told you we're going to circle around this verse a lot. It says, The Word became flesh. Let's just stop right there. The Word became flesh. That, that Jesus clothed Himself in humanity. And this is one of those pieces where I think we've maybe heard the Christmas story so many times that we no longer really hear it. And you know, the movies that you watch and you watch over and over, this is my life because I have a three-year-old who he's just stuck on a movie. Sweet Lord. <laughs> that you see it so many times that you no longer see it anymore. I think that we get like that with the Christmas story. We hear it every year and we're like, oh yeah, Jesus became human and he was born as a little baby. And we just, we read it over and it's sort of like, that's a nice story, isn't it? No, that's unreal. That's ridiculous. That's, a, that's amazing. The fact that the God of the universe has spoke every star into space and calls them out one by one each night. And the only reason that we don't spin off this globe isn't because of gravity. It's because he says it's not time yet. It's not time yet. That God, born as a little baby, clothes himself in humanity. The book of Philippians in chapter 2 says that, that we should be like Jesus. He says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, made himself nothing. Being found in human likeness. And he humbled himself. He humbled himself to be obedient, to be obedient even to death on the cross. See, yeah, did he clothe himself in flesh? He became flesh. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what you need to hear is that God was willing to pay an unbelievably high cost in order to pursue you. And so we're going to be people who give gifts that go beyond sort of the trinkets and the toys. I think we need to be people who embrace the cost, the relational cost, not just the price. That like Jesus was willing to say, I will clothe myself in humanity to pursue people. I wonder what it might be like to give gifts that cost us personally something. Not, not just monetary They cost us. See, just because we spend less doesn't mean there's less cost. And, and just because we spend less doesn't mean that we necessarily give less. 
I mean, I think that we could start, like like the early Christians did, an almost a revolutionary atmosphere when it came to Christmas. If we were willing to say, listen, this is going to be the time of year where where we're going to let go of some grudges that we're carrying. Or or in the chaos of Christmas and where, where families are just out of control and there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of sorrow and there's a lot of pain. And it all seems to, as the December calendar creeps later and later, doesn't all that stuff with family seem to get closer and closer and closer to the surface? That's just me. So, so what, what might it look like to say, hey, we're going to, this year, we're going to forgive. I love it that we have a God that we see who's willing to clothe himself in flesh, who's willing to enter in. He's a God who says there's no mess too big for me. He's a God who says there's no area that I'm unwilling to go. He's a God who says you are not too distant to hear my voice and to respond to my invitation to come home. He's a God who says I'm willing to enter into the mess that he entered into back a few thousand years ago. And hear me this morning, please, friend. Your mess isn't too big for me either. This is a God who, who not only entered in, but this is a God who consistently enters in. And he embraces, he embraces the potential rejection. I mean, you look at verses 10 and 11. It says, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, ironically, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own and his own did not receive him. So you're going, Ryan, listen, if I'm willing to have that difficult conversation with that person in my family, what if they don't respond the way that I want them to? Well, welcome to the life of Jesus. Ryan, if I'm willing to give gifts that not only, not only have a monetary price attached to them, but a relational cost attached to them, what if people don't? Respond Well, a lot of people didn't respond to Jesus. Let me ask you, are you willing to take the risk? Are you willing to take the risk to give gifts not only that have a price tag, but that have a cost? See, I think if we can resist the tendency to just give easy gifts and to reject the assumption that, that just more, more expensive is better, then we might start giving things that really last and that really matter. And could this be the season where you do that? Could this be the season where people might just see Jesus because of the way that we give? Listen to the way that John goes on. It says this, John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he whom I said. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another. From the law, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's a great gift, isn't it? That grace and truth 
See, and we need them together, right? Because without grace, truth would absolutely crush us, wouldn't it? To know that we're in desperate need without a way that we can make on our own would crush us. But, but grace without truth would really mean nothing to us, would it? I mean, the saving grace of Jesus is only good in light of the fact that without him, we're doomed. So he says, listen, Jesus didn't balance grace and truth. He brought the fullness of both of those everywhere he went. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. No, no, no. I know that Jesus does that in a really unique way, in a way that you will never do. But the truth of the matter is, is that the gift that God gave shined a light on who God was, that it invited people to know him. And I just wonder, I wonder what it might look like for us to this season point to the gift, not just to the presence. See, when Jesus shows up on the scene, when he clothes himself in flesh, when he embraces humanity, when he makes his dwelling there, when his presence is there, when he's there with them, people see Jesus. And here's the deal, you guys. When you show up on the scene, whatever scene that is, if you're a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and if you're a follower of Jesus, he does. He does. That means there's a potential if you're present, if you're, if you're there, if you're willing to see the people who are there with you. Man, there's an opportunity. There's a potential that through your actions, God might reveal himself to others. Probably not in the space either, though. But if we're intentional about saying, hey, we, we don't just want to see the present, we want to see the person. If we're willing to say, hey, I know that there's a relational cost attached to this gift or whatever this is, this conversation that we're going to have, but I'm willing to pay it. I think God could use us to make an unbelievable difference in our families in our communities, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and in our world. See, see, I want to be the type of person who's known for forgiving great gifts. Why? Well, because we have a God who's given unbelievably good things to us. Friends, he's invited you into relationship with him. It's something that you could never buy, purchase, or earn. And it's only by his grace, by his favor, that the book of Ephesians says he lavished down on you, that he invites you come. Come. And you see, here's the truth of the matter. If you're going to be a good giver, and I, and I hope that you will, the first step to that, is to be a good receiver. To say, Jesus, 
I can't believe how unbelievably gracious you've been to me. Would you use my life as insignificant as it may be to point to you? Listen, it starts with being present. You cannot meet needs if you're not present. You can't see needs. You can't meet needs. You're useless unless you're willing to show up. And then, man, the sky's the limit. I pray that this Christmas season would be one where you give more than you ever thought was possible because you received more from him than you ever dreamed he was able to give. Let me pray for us. Jesus.